Welcome to the Lift Lounge Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Neff. And I'm your co-host, Kyle Cortez. Welcome to the fourth installment of the Lift Lounge Podcast. Today, we'll be discussing what are the best exercises to have in your program. This is one of those topics that is argued about constantly online, and we wanted to give our opinion, and our goal is to provide some clarity and understanding to the listeners. We're going to start this discussion out from a very zoomed out perspective and then gradually zoom in on the specifics. So the first thing to consider would be the primary goal of the individual that you're working with. So exercises must be specific to the goal. So this is known as specificity. So there's tons and tons of different goals that people may have. Some examples would be powerlifting, bodybuilding, Olympic weightlifting, Maybe somebody is resistance training for improving their endurance, their long distance running, et cetera. So the adaptations that we get will essentially be based on the stimulus that we provide. And that stimulus is provided through the exercises, the rep ranges, the sets, the rest periods, et cetera. Um, So a long distance runner will improve their aerobic capacity and stress tolerance specific to running for longer distances. So that person will not be able to build muscle quite as efficiently if they are also weight training with these competing adaptations. So some exercises are required for sport. So for example, we have powerlifting, we have Olympic weightlifting. So when you're designing a program for those individuals, then if they are powerlifting, you're definitely going to want to include squat, bench, and deadlift. Um, those are very specific to the sport that they are doing. And the same thing can be said about Olympic weightlifting. We have cleans, hang cleans, power cleans, uh, push press, snatch, variations of squats, etc. And we do know that all exercises are not created equal. Um, Thus, they yield different adaptations, which again may be specific towards improving their primary goal. Um, And then another discussion would be that not all intent is created equal. Um, So let's look at something like a barbell bench press. You know, if somebody is doing a barbell bench press with the hopes of competing in powerlifting someday, then they might actually be doing a competition pause, a competition bench press. So they're coming down, they're pausing on their chest for one second versus somebody else who might be doing barbell bench press more in a manner to improve their sports performance. Uh, Maybe they do more of an explosive type of lifting. Um, And then of course we have people who are training for hypertrophy where maybe they have a little bit more control on the eccentric in relation to those people training for sports performance or um, powerlifting, right? So essentially, the specific goal of the client, of the individual that you're working with, will point us in the direction of which exercises would best suit that client, which intent would best suit that exercise. And I wanted to just talk about Uh, a general population client. So if you have a client coming in, let's say Sally Jo comes in, she's a mother of three and she's in her forties and she's never trained before in her life. She's not very coordinated. So how would we go about choosing exercises for her? 
Um, so knowing what we know about muscle lengths, and this is again getting into some specifics here, but um, if we have a lengthened muscle, then we are going to be creating more mechanical damage. Uh, so that muscle is going to go through more trauma and it will create more of that muscular soreness, which very well can impede people from coming back to the gym. You know, when we are sore and beat up, um, it's not generally a good feeling. Um, so for somebody like Sally, who is new to weight training, maybe what we do is we bias the majority of her movements toward the short muscle position to mitigate some of that muscular soreness. And since she is fairly new at training and she doesn't have a whole lot of coordination, maybe we also select some exercises that are more stable in nature. So maybe doing something like a month or two months of leg extension so she can start to know what it feels like to contract her quadriceps in a very stable position. Um, she's not getting too sore. And then we can build some confidence with that. Maybe we end up moving her into something like a leg press where we're getting more of the mid range for her quadriceps. Still a very stable exercise, but again, won't create as much muscular soreness as something like a deep hack squat. Um, so those are just some things to consider. Um, again, the primary goal of the individual. Uh, so I'm going to throw it over to Kyle to touch on some other points. Great introduction, Adam. I, you know, when you always toss it over to me, I never know how to like transition myself like smoothly. <laughs> but um, I, I like how you talked about like, like primary goals of the individual. And that's the, the first thing that we always need to look at when we're programming for ourselves or we're programming for somebody else. So what are your specific goals and your training should be able to reflect that. So a powerlifters program will look completely different compared to a bodybuilders due to specificity of that sport, like Adam mentioned. So a powerlifter will need to be doing squat, bench, deadlift. There are no like if, ands, or but. That's what you're competing in, right? So the majority of their program is made up of the squat, bench, deadlift, roughly like 50 to 75%. Whereas a bodybuilder, yeah, we do have compound lifts that we do squat bench deadlift but we have a little bit more freedom in the variations that we can choose from we don't have to be married to the squat the bench the deadlift maybe we can do safety bar squats or hack squats or you know dumbbell bench or rdls and still get the same movement patterns so if you don't like doing a barbell back squat you know you don't have to and we need to be smart in our approach and use the, the right tools for the job at hand. And I say the right tools for the job at hand because things are always subject to change based on what phase of training we're in, um, our training age, if progression stalls, right? So somebody like a power lifter that's in a uh, meet, that's prepping for a meet, is going to have different exercises uh, versus their off season. So if they're in prep right now, we need to be doing squat, bench, and deadlift more often for specificity reasons to become more skilled at that movement. <clears throat> versus say in the off season where, you know, we have a little bit more time off, we can do a little bit more weak point training. So 
maybe in their squat, if their quads are the weak point because of just biomechanics, they have longer femurs, maybe they have a short torso, they squat with a very hunched over, you know, like folded like a lawn chair type of squat. So they're getting like a lot of glutes, a lot of adductors in their squat. Maybe the limiting factor is their quads. So how do we train their quads if they're already in a compromised position that's not going to prioritize quad movement? Maybe we can look to doing maybe a front squat. Maybe we can do safety bar squats, you know, in the off season when we're far away from competition, that's not going to impede with, you know, um, the technicalities of doing the squat itself. And even when it comes to like bodybuilders and like, um, the different phases that we're doing, maybe we might be doing a more hypertrophy, uh, type of phase where we're doing just straight sets, or maybe we're doing more metabolic work. If we're doing say more supersets, more drop sets, um, you know, you don't want to be doing drop sets and supersets on barbell back squats because that's that's just hell, right? Maybe we do yeah. something a little bit more externally stabilized movements like the leg press where we can do, you know, rest pause technique where it's a little bit more safer for us, right? Yeah, I absolutely love that, especially that you touched on the power lifter prepping for a meet versus the off season. So when I was doing some power lifting, I was doing low bar squat and I'm just built more for low bar squat team long femurs over here. Um, and that just destroyed my elbows, my wrists and my shoulders, you know, trying to get into that externally shoulder rotated position. Um, so, you know, if somebody, it does do low bar squat and they have a lot of joint pain in their elbows and shoulders and whatnot. Then when they're in the off season, choosing something like a safety bar squat um, and still training the squat pattern would be fantastic. So, you know, maybe in the off season, they do more variations for weak point training as you touched on. Um, so if somebody is, you know, let's just say really weak out of the hole, then maybe they prioritize um, some of their training, you know, doing paused reps or something along those lines um, to get more stimulus in the bottom. Um, so yeah, perfect. Yeah. Specificity is also one of those things that is more important for those power lifter types, right? So, or just any kind of training modality. So the better, if you want to get better at something, you need to train that thing or things that potentiate it. So the farther your training gets away from the goal, the less adaptations that you will generate. So this is called um, training modality compatibility. So say if you were to do maybe hypertrophy and you want it to be like a marathon runner, two totally different training modalities and they yield different adaptations. So you can't be Jack like Ronnie Coleman running, you know, marathons. It's, it's just not going to happen. First off, can you imagine that? Like somebody just as big as Ronnie Coleman, like running marathons. I've never seen that like ever in my life. And if I do like, oh my God, that is like the craziest thing. That's mind blowing. But um, one analogy that I like to use is cups. You have two cups and a pitcher. The cups represent the different training modalities that you have. And you have a pitcher in your hand 
with enough water to fill up one of those cups. So filling up that cup represents creating an adaptation. So you're either going to fill up one of those cups or neither of those cups are going to be filled. You're either going to be really good at one thing or you're going to be mediocre at both, right? So you kind of have to choose because they have so many different adaptations, you know, the adaptations from endurance running is going to eat into your hypertrophy adaptations, right? So you can't be as big as possible if you're doing more in endurance and marathon type of training. But when it comes to a little bit more, um, I guess when your training is closer together in compatibility, say maybe hypertrophy and powerlifting, yes, there are some crossovers just because it is weight training, but even still at that, there are different adaptations. With powerlifting, uh, the adaptations that we elicit are a little bit more neurological versus bodybuilding, which is more muscular size, which is, which is why like with powerlifters, you would expect them to be like some of the biggest guys in the gym, but really they're, they're not, uh, you would think that because you know, just the, the amount of the, of weight that they're moving in the gym, but which is why you can, you can see somebody that's like 130 pounds soaking wet looking like they barely even lift, deadlifting over 500 pounds, right? Those, those adaptations are, are different. And they've practiced those movement patterns that, and they've become proficient at moving those heavy loads. And those strength adaptations are an expression and a reflection of that neurological adaptation. Yeah, well said, well said, and very well summed up. The next topic we're gonna go into is going to be understanding the muscles functions and taking your muscles through their fullest range of motion. So muscles have certain ranges of motion that we can take them through. So for example, let's just talk about your bicep. So you can take your arm and you can put your arm behind you. So you can go into actually what we would call shoulder extension, and that would be lengthening through your bicep. And then if you take your arm and you put your arm over your head, that is going through shoulder flexion. And you can do a curl from both of these positions. So you can do a curl from a short position and you can do a curl from a lengthened position. And we can go through a full range of motion with both of those. But um, as we just said, that actually creates more range of motion that we're training through. And we know that if we can take a muscle through a fuller range of motion, then we're going to get more adaptation or more hypertrophy out of that. Um, so another discussion would be the same thing, taking a muscle to the short position and a lengthened position. Um, but we have muscles that are biarticular. So for example, we have our, our quadriceps. Um, so this can be kind of tricky and this is why you guys can reach out to us, ask us questions or hire us um, as coaches, shameless plug. Uh, but if we look at our quadriceps, our quadriceps, there's uh, four major quad muscles. Um, actually, I think there might be five now. Um, I think that they had discovered a really small um, muscle. Um, but anyways, uh, we know that the majority of our quads extend our knee. So 
Um, think of doing something like a squat, right? So we're going through knee flexion and knee extension, and that's going to overload more of that lengthened position of your quadricep. And then we can also go through a shortened position like a leg extension. Now, we have to keep in mind that the quadriceps are biarticular, so they're crossing the knee joint and the hip joint. So we don't just want to be training our quadriceps through knee extension. We also want to be training it through hip extension or uh, excuse me, hip flexion. Um, so this is where it can be useful to know biomechanics and anatomy um, because you're not able to actually get a shortened rectus femoris um, or a lengthened rectus femoris through doing something like a squat or a leg press. So if you do a squat, you are essentially, I'm probably going to get this backwards, so don't, don't quote me on this, but um, you're essentially shortening the rectus femoris at your hip and then lengthening the rectus femoris at your knee. So technically your rec fem, rectus femoris for short, uh, rec fem is staying the same length. So if you do a squat, you're not going to just fully maximize your quadricep development. Maybe you do need to do something like a leg extension to get that fully shortened rec fem. And since we are hammering down on the rec fem, we can also train the rec fem through its length and position, which would be done through something like a split squat, right? Where that leg is behind us, that hip is in extension, and then you're going to be stretching that rec fem when you go through um, a split squat or something of the like. Um, so without getting too specific around that stuff, um, this does impact maximum development when it comes to certain muscle groups. Uh, so for example, uh, another, another example would be the hamstrings. So can you build a great set of hamstrings just doing Romanian deadlifts? Absolutely. Um, but as we will get into, Romanian deadlifts cause quite a bit of systemic fatigue. Uh, so we'll talk about the stimulus to fatigue ratio here soon. Um, so, you know, if somebody does, let's just say two sets of Romanian deadlifts and they are systemically just taxed. There's no way that they can do any more than that and recover from it. That's when we could say, okay, let's do um, fill in with a seated hamstring curl, a lying hamstring curl, or some sort of um, hamstring curl movement um, so that we can get more work on the hamstrings without adding a lot of extra fatigue. Um, and then on top of that, um, Kyle, you might be able to help me out with this one, but the biceps femoris, I believe, is has two heads in the hamstrings, and it is maximized when it's done in a lying hamstring curl. I'm not quite sure about that one, um, but Kyle, do you remember? I, I do you remember going through that? Um, I don't know if it's maximized, but I know that you can target different heads if you internally rotate or externally rotate your um your leg when you're doing the lying hamstring curl yeah 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 so a little bit of internal and external rotation can bias different divisions um very very minimal divisions there um but yeah that stuff again this is the reason why we we hire coaches so that they can optimally select exercises for us. 
Yeah. Yeah, you talked about like oh, not knowing, you know, any of the biomechanics mechanics kind of stuff. So how does like a person that's like a general population kind of choose exercises then? Maybe we honestly if you if you're just looking to um be very thorough Maybe you just have one of everything. You have a hack squat, maybe you have a leg press, and you have a um, leg extension. That's going to challenge the lengthened, mid, and shortened range. So, you know, we don't have to do hack squats and leg presses in the same um, mesocycle, per se. Maybe we can do a few mesocycles where we're hitting the hack squat, we're hitting the lengthened position. And then maybe we run that for two mesocycles or say, and then maybe you can switch to the leg press. So they don't stimulate the same muscle fibers. So hack squat um, does train more of the lengthened position. Leg press trains more of the mid range. Um, just as long as you're you're getting those in. Um, when it comes to program design, uh, you don't. Yeah, you don't. You don't have to do both and what we really want to avoid is like redundancy in movement selection so maybe we're we're doing a hack squat and then we're doing a smith machine squat in the same uh program which is going to be training the length in position um twice so instead of doing more uh instead of doing different exercises training the length in position hack squats and then going into smith machine squats maybe we can just do more sets of the hack squats because it's still the same movement mm -hmm. and then we can even get into like dumbbell lateral raises i know that i see people doing you know dumbbell lateral raises and then they'll do cable lateral raises leaned away but really that's kind of training the same movement you're still training the short position when you're leaning away from that cable stack the weight is still the heaviest at the very top so you may think you're getting some variation by doing you know cables versus dumbbells but when we think about it we're still training that short position so how do we get away from that we can um, raise the pulley system up to waist height for our cable lateral raises, and then that's going to overload the lengthened position. So it's it's going to be um, more lengthened biased. Yeah, I absolutely love that, especially because we talked in the beginning about how intent can actually change an exercise as well. So if you're doing a dumbbell lateral raise and you go up to the top position, the short position, that's very, very heavy. So we're overloading that top position, right? Now, if you don't have cables or you train at home and all you have is dumbbells, then just the way that we perform it can actually change what is being overloaded. So for example, with the dumbbells on the lateral raise, you could actually pick heavier dumbbells. So let's say you normally do 15 pound dumbbells and you do a little bit of a pause at the top to overload that top. Then what you can actually do is go and, and grab some heavier dumbbells. Maybe you grab 25s, maybe you grab 30s. And from that bottom position, you, so to speak, launch. So you initiate very hard out of the bottom and that will create more uh, resistance at the quote unquote lengthened position of that movement. 
Um, so tempo and intent can definitely be used as well to avoid movement redundancy. Yeah. Uh, I was going to talk about like bar articular muscles, but you, you kind of like, you had that like nailed down. Like, I don't really have anything else to say about that other than like, yeah, including like, so for, um, for hamstrings, can we develop good hamstrings without maybe doing an RDL? Yes, we can. Um, but you know, maybe we can look to having some variations, um, that aren't so axial loading. Maybe we can do a 45 degree hip extension. That's not going to load the, the, the spine as much, but you're still going to be able to get that, um, hip, hip hinge movement. Yeah, I think that uh, this is one of those conversations that's always online that I have such a hard time with, where people are like, oh, you don't need to deadlift, or you don't need to squat, or you don't need to do a bent over row, or you don't need to do any of these movements to have uh, a great, great development. Um, but we do know that you get a lot of stimulus out of these movements that create a lot of fatigue. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we just avoid them at all costs because they create fatigue, but rather be smart about how we approach it. And then knowing what we know about biarticular muscles, putting some of that volume then towards some of those movements that create less fatigue and still give you some stimulus there. Um, anything else before we move on there? Mm, no, I, I can't think of anything. So the next thing we can talk about would be limitations in equipment or limitations in time. So um, I actually made a post on Instagram about um, some considerations when when uh, limited in time for the gym. So if you guys follow me on Instagram, definitely check that one out. Um, so as far as choosing exercises when it comes to equipment, you know, as we discussed. Um, there's tons of variations you guys can do even with just a barbell, dumbbells, free weights only, just using intent. Um, but you know, if somebody just has something at home and they just have barbells, dumbbells, free weights, uh, pull up bar and stuff like that. Is there really a reason for that person to get caught up in the argument of optimality? Probably not. The biggest thing is going to be focusing on progressive overloading, uh, fatigue management, making sure we're training hard enough, right? Close enough in proximity to failure and gains will be made. Um, so, you know, the lats, the lat muscle, the latissimus dorsi, dorsi, those are uh, the big muscles in our back that everybody wants to argue about online right now. Um, so when it comes to performing lat movements, a lot of times people will discuss doing single arm work uh, because it tends to align a bit better. Um, I will say for myself, I really like to do one single arm lat movement um, just because again, it aligns, it feels really good for my shoulders. And if I do a two arm version of a specific lat movement, it might give me some, some shoulder issues. But it also takes up more time to perform these single arm or, or unilateral movements. Um, so what might be most optimal on paper, again, um, is not always going to be the most feasible in reality. Um, anything to add to the equipment or time? Um, 
Yeah, if you if you're limited on equipment, so you have a home gym, if you only have like a squat rack with plates and you have dumbbells, you know, you don't have much room for variation there. So really you have to get quite creative in your exercises. So maybe if you're doing like a chest supported row, maybe you can use a barbell with angles 90 grips if you don't have enough weight in the dumbbells. Right. Um, maybe if you're doing like uh, pull-ups, maybe you can do some assisted pull-ups. Um, yeah, um, not really much to, to add to to that. But when it comes to, um, I guess, time, we can choose more exercises that are our compounds. That's going to save us a little bit more time uh, versus doing, you know, single arm work. Maybe you do some um, some bilateral stuff, right? Anything to add, Adam, on time? Yeah, just to run through that post I made, and again, you guys can reference this, but um, choosing multi-joint compound exercises, as you just said, right? Doing a squat so that you're training your glutes, your quads, your erector spinae muscles, rather than choosing like a leg extension, right? And just doing your quadriceps. Um, using exercise pairings to get through your workouts a little bit more efficiently in terms of time, right? So maybe you do something like um, a lower body movement paired with an upper body movement. Um, you can use intensity techniques as well. So if you just have a barbell and you're doing barbell bent over rows with the angle 90s or whatever, uh, maybe you implement some drop sets. Maybe you even do some partial reps um, if you are fit to do that. Um, using timed rest periods, um, that would be very beneficial as well. And then also maybe, so again, this kind of goes to um, the same point as we talked about with the lats, but you know, using exercises that require less of a setup. So um, I know we've probably talked about this multiple times already on this podcast, but you know, rather than going in and setting up a landmine and grabbing the angles 90 and setting up the platform for you to stand on and doing a T-bar row, maybe it is more optimal for you to just do a barbell bent over row. Um, so yeah, again, you guys can reference that. That's on, uh, that's on my Instagram and the lift labs Instagram as well. I remember what I wanted to talk to now uh, about optimal exercises. So we shouldn't, try to find the most optimal exercise because really it, it doesn't exist and we're in this age in the internet of like science-based and biomechanics and stuff like that and people speaking in these absolutes of you have to do this exercise and if you're not doing it you're wasting your time and everything else sucks and we need to get away from this type of mindset Right, we need to find instead of the best exercise for us, we need to find multiple exercises that um, work with us, um, based off of you know just individual um, how good it is for the individual. Maybe SFRs, right, stimulus to fatigue ratios, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit right here. But when one exercise stalls, what are you going to do, right? So you only have um, dumbbell laterals you can't do that three times a week right for months on end that movement's going to get so stale you're going to hate it you know maybe your joints are going to start aching so 
I mean, what are you gonna do? You're gonna keep doing those, or you're gonna you're gonna have to eventually change the exercise. So um, I guess what we can talk about here is stimulus to fatigue ratio. Should we go into that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so stimulus to fatigue ratio, um, which is the relationship between the stimulus that's generated um, and the fatigue consequences that are um, associated with that. So exercises that give the most stimulus, um, we can determine based on some certain feedback markers like pump, uh, mind-muscle connection, and how much disruption it gives us, maybe um, delayed onset muscle soreness. And then we also look at the fatigue that comes with those things, such as joint and connective tissue fatigue. Um, does it wreck your joints? Uh, like for me, doing straight bar uh, barbell curls give me a lot of pain, so I have to opt for the easy bar curls. It puts a lot of strain on my wrists. Uh, you can also look at perceived effort. So psychologically, how draining was that set? Um, you know, how much systemic fatigue did you accumulate after? So deadlifts is a, a really common example of um, a lot of systemic fatigue. Um, are you going to do like eight sets of deadlifts? You know, that's probably not a feasible thing to do versus RDLs where you can still get the same kind of stimulus. But going back to the power lifter thing, you know, power lifters don't really have that much room for variation. You're going to have to deadlift. That's just part of the game. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Sorry. Give me one second, Adam. No, Kinda you're totally lost. fine. Yeah. Um, I, I, down here it says uh, more stimulative exercises almost always oh, come yeah. with yes, more yes. fatigue. And I agree with that 100%. Um, now, I know you talked about the deadlift example up here, uh, but just to give people um, a, a clear idea, uh, let's say you are doing something like a uh, conventional deadlift from the floor. And let's say you're doing 405 pounds. So you're doing 405 from the floor, deadlifts, uh, conventional style, using more glutes, um, using more erector spinae, and you're doing sets of six or 10, right? Um, now, if the goal of that person is to grow their glutes or grow their hamstrings, uh, maybe it would be better for them to do a Romanian deadlift, um, which would allow them to actually use less load. And if they're using less load and producing just as good, if not better, of a stimulus on their hamstrings and glutes, then that's going to be a better option for that individual. Um, again, like you said, with the power lifters, you know, there's just no way around uh, not deadlifting, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, how do we look to improve stimulus to fatigue ratio? How do we choose better exercises for us, right? Um, to improve SFR, we need to either enhance the stimulus of the exercise, so choosing maybe a better exercise, or we need to reduce the fatigue that it causes. Maybe you change up your grip a little bit so that it doesn't hurt. Or a combination of the both of those things. So like in the example of reducing fatigue for the deadlift, um, yeah, maybe we opt for an RDL for the, bar, uh, for the bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if 
we're trying to improve SFR, we can also improve our technique, maybe using a full range of motion. Um, it's going to keep our joints a lot healthier and it's going to enhance the stimulus while using lighter weight. So taking that um, movement through a full range of motion is going to you know, be a lot easier on the joints. Instead of taking weight progressions every single week and your squat just keeps getting higher and higher, you keep loading that knee, maybe we lower the, the weight, we go to full depth, to full depth and you know, we train those joints and build that stimulus and um, build that capacity to be able to move through those hardest positions, which is the bottom of the squat. Yep, another way we can improve stimulus to fatigue ratio would be through rep ranges, right? So if somebody's getting really, really strong on something like a squat and they're doing sets of five or six, and again, they're training very close in proximity to failure, so they can still have totally maximized, they can still totally maximize their hypertrophy, um, even though they're only doing six reps. Well, maybe they're having a lot of joint pain, connective tissue disruption. So maybe it would be a good idea to take that person and have them do sets of 10 or sets of 12. Um, and the same thing could be said about something like a lateral raise, right? Maybe doing sets of eight on a lateral raise might not be the best for that individual. Maybe they get some joint stress in their shoulder or their elbow. Um, so then maybe bumping them up to sets of 15 to 20 um, would be a good way to reduce their fatigue. Yeah. Oh, I don't have anything else on stimulus to fatigue ratio, really. Did you have anything um, else to add to that? Not really. I guess the next thing we can go into would be... Uh, limitations and movement capacity. Um, so looking at an individual and seeing if they do have any movement deficiencies, which just means lacking the accessibility to specific ranges of motion, right? So let's just say somebody can't get their arm fully over their head, then is it going to be a good idea to program something like a standing overhead press for that person? Probably not. So just making sure that you guys pick exercises that fit you or fit the individual um, and their specific body structure. Um, so you're not just uh, giving them blanket movements to do without actually seeing how they move. Um, another good example of that would be somebody who might lack ankle dorsiflexion. Um, so you guys can actually do this. Uh, but if you are close to a wall, you can take your, your hand, make a fist and then stick your thumb out and stick your thumb up against the wall and then put your toe behind your, uh, behind your hand and then see if you can keep your heel flat while driving your knee forward and, and touch the wall. That'll be a good test of your ankle dorsiflexion. So if you can't access that, access that range of motion efficiently, excuse me, um, then maybe, you know, doing something like a barbell squat, um, you're not going to be able to fully get a lengthened quadricep. So that might be something where we say, okay, well, do we need to improve this range of motion in the ankle um, through some mobility drills? Um, or do we just put a wedge under this person's heel, um, create some artificial dorsiflexion so that they can train their uh, squat pattern through its fullest range of motion. 
Um, and then another thing to discuss would just be uh, movement progressions or movement regressions. Um, so if, for example, you program in a Bulgarian split squat for somebody and you think this will be a great movement for them, but it happens to be very unstable. They don't have enough coordination. Uh, maybe they even have a really tight rectus femoris or quadricep muscle, and they actually can't get a full range of motion. Maybe just the easy way to navigate this would just be, let's progress to a regular split squat where we're not elevating that back foot. And then from there, you could have them grab a pole or grab something very close to them to provide more stability um, until they gain those adaptations to remove, uh, remove the training wheels, so to speak. Um, and then you can start to progress that person uh, just very slowly over time. Um, another thing to discuss would be uh, beginners. You know, beginners might not need to really be doing these hyper biased movement patterns. Like if I have a client come in that's, you know, 16 years old, never trained, I'm not going to have him start off with like an iliac lat pull down. Um, we're really not quite sure if this individual has, you know, well-developed lats in general. Um, so it might be better for them anyways to do something that's more bang for the buck. So maybe they improve their strength and their pull-ups and their pull-downs before, again, doing something very hyper-specific. Um, and then I guess the, the last thing to really say here and then give you guys a, a little example of uh, my programming and how it's changed in the last couple of months um, and how my exercise selection has, um, has changed. But to sum it up, there's really no best exercise, and Kyle said this earlier, but there are better exercises for certain situations, but context is always necessary when it comes to selecting an exercise that may be considered better than another exercise. So the example I want to go through is with my programming. So about 10 weeks ago, I ended up hurting my SI joint. Uh, we drove up to Michigan, which is like a five, five and a half hour drive. Um, so we did a lot of sitting. And then I had actually planned on, as we discussed in the uh, training split uh, podcast, I had planned on doing a deload that week. So I end up going into the gym, of course, right? Uh, going into the gym on the deload week and, and still training relatively hard. And my SI joint went out. So when I came back, um, I decided let's go ahead and pull the, the RDL, the Romanian deadlift out of the program. So because I pulled the Romanian deadlift out of the program, I had no heavy loading for the erector spinae muscles, the muscles, those big muscles that run up either side of your spine. I didn't have a free weight squat, um, so I didn't have a safety bar squat, a barbell squat. Um, I didn't have a hinge in there. Um, so I really wasn't loading the erector spinae muscles a whole lot at all. Um, so I, my squat pattern has been the pendulum squat and a split squat. Uh, very upright on the split squat. So again, not a lot of erector stimulus there. So to make up for that, what I decided to do was to implement a bent over dumbbell row. Now, this isn't one of those optimal movements on paper for your lats or your upper back. Um, since there's no added stability and your erector muscles or your low back muscles can be um, the limiting factor essentially, right? Um, of course, I'm still going to get plenty of lats and plenty of upper back stimulus from, from this. 
Um, but the goal is to have the erector spinae muscles be the limiting factor. Um, so that's why I precisely programmed that in. Um, yeah. Anything to add there, Kyle? Yeah, really, when it comes to just having a really good program, don't get caught up in like trying to find, you know, the best exercises, you know, you just need to find what works for you. Um, whether that be through SFRs, you know, um, things that you, you just have available to you, you need to make some of those things work for you. So we need to find exercises that give us, you know, really good pumps, really good mind muscle connection, um, things that are just going to mess us up, you know, run those for a long time until they get stale or like progression stall and then move to something else. And when it comes to, you know, training muscles through its full range, just just be very thorough with your, your exercise selection. Have a, you know, have a hip hinge in there for your, your hamstrings. Have some type of curl for your hamstrings. You're going to be, you're going to be fine. You're going to hit everything um, in its entirety. And when it comes to, um, you know, just overall, like specificity, just keep the goal the goal, right? Don't don't try to like throw everything all at once. You know, oh, I want to be a, a powerlifter, but I but I want to be a bodybuilder at the same time. You know, focus on one thing at a time. That that's really the only thing that I can say to sum things up. Perfectly summed up. Awesome. Well, we got that one done in under 50 minutes, so um, that'll be a good listen for people. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys have any questions at all, feel free to hit us up on Instagram. You guys can find our handles in the description. And thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, guys. See you guys in the next episode.